Hi everyone, welcome back to Bible Unlock. You're listening to your host, Pastor Zlatan. This podcast is specifically designed to help you have a closer relationship with Jesus. And so as we get into our episode, I invite you to sit back in a prayerful attitude, relax, and stay tuned. I think sometimes it's hard to study the Bible. And uh, I don't know if you ever feel like that. If you do, man, you can relate with me. Because sometimes it is difficult to study the Word of God and it's hard staying consistent in studying the Bible. And so if you ever feel like that, I think that, you know, I want to let you know that I feel like that too and that sometimes it's hard. And so I hope that we can persevere past that and that we can stay consistent. And uh, if you do forget, you know, to read your Word, if you forget to connect, if you forget to do any of those things, just be reminded that every day is a new day and you can always have an opportunity every day to come back to the Word of God. And that's exactly what I want to do today in our episode is I want to go back to the Word of God and we're going to continue our study through the book of Haggai. We are in chapter 2 in today's episode. If, if you're new here, if you have just clicked on this episode, go back, listen to Haggai chapter 1 just so that you have an understanding of what's going on in chapter 2. That way it'll be a little bit easier so that you know um, the context, you're aware of what's going on, and you're not just kind of thrown in in the middle of something that you don't understand. Haggai chapter 2. Uh, let's. Why don't we just get right into it? I want to start by reading verse 1 here for us. It says, In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. And I mentioned this in our last episode. What's so unique about Haggai is that he dates down to the day when his prophecy or when his message came. And uh, it says here the seventh month. You can see that right there on the 21st day of the month. And it would have been the same year as uh, in chapter one. So what date is this? So here's a little hint. If you ever want to find out what this date is, an easy way to do it is take out the New Living Translation. It's such a <laughs> easy translation. It's a good translation. They just do the conversion there for us. October 17, that's what it says. Haggai chapter 2, verse 1. Then on October 17 of the same year, the Lord sent another message through the prophet Haggai. So again, we see that it is October 17th. That was the day that um, Haggai got the second message. So let's look at the second message now and let's see what it's about and what it has to say. Uh, what Haggai has to write here to us, okay? Verse, let's get a verse 2 here. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say. I'll just kind of highlight this in verse 2, which I think is really good to understand is when pay attention to Haggai when he's writing it and to whom he's writing the specific message. Oftentimes, what he'll do is he will be very specific as to who he's trying to write this message to. When we get to our third and fourth message, we'll see that he addresses this to specific people. But in this case, this message is for Zerubbabel, Joshua, the high priest, and uh, no, pardon me, Zerubbabel, Joshua, and to all the people that are there. So that's the message. In other words, everybody there um, gets to hear this message. Let's see what the message is. Verse 3 is where we get into what the message is. And it says, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? 
So this is this is actually kind of interesting because uh, people were starting to be discouraged. There was a lot of a lot of those that were alive when they saw the previous temple. And uh, what they did was they compared that old temple, the former temple, with this new temple. And if you were to compare the two temples that they were building, was it was nothing in comparison. The temple that Solomon built was just magnificent. It was beautiful and it was amazing. And so the people, they were struggling because they were discouraged. Not all of them, but some of them, they were very discouraged because the, the temple that they're building now doesn't really match up to the standard of what it was like in the past. Now, what's so interesting about this is you can read more about this in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. And so if you ever want to do some more background study and understand what is happening during this time, just read Ezra and Nehemiah because these two books are specifically dealing with the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple. But here's what Ezra says. I'll give you this text, Ezra chapter 3, verse 12. And here what it says, But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of the temple being laid. So they've already had a problem, even in the past, before Haggai came, to help them resume the work. They had a problem in that they were already comparing uh, the rebuilding process to what was happening in the past. And uh, they were sad. They wept. They, you know, they were very discouraged because of this. And so when Haggai brings this message, I want you to be aware that people are really discouraged. And so when Haggai brings this, he's going to give him a word of God. But he begins by asking a question, you know, who saw the glory of the old temple? Now, what's kind of interesting about the old temple is that it was built by Solomon. And it was so beautiful. It was so glorious that uh, if you just consider the treasures that David himself laid out, if you consider, you know, the fabric that was used, it was like this fancy, unique fabric that they used that was never seen before. Solomon hired so many employees to be able to build this. I mean, the decorations, the vessels, I mean, the gold, I mean, all of that stuff. I mean, you can just imagine how beautiful the walls were, you know, just had so much, you know, uh, paintings all around. I mean, it was just beautiful. And so now when they are building the temple for God, in comparison, it is like nothing. And in verse 3, it says that it is not as nothing in your eyes. And so, you know, when you compare them to, you know, the good old days versus the present day, it doesn't really come to a pass. Now, when I'm reading this, you know what comes to my mind? And I don't know if, if you understand this, but if you go to churches... Not all churches, but some churches, what they like to do a lot of times is they like to compare what was going on in the past. And I've seen this as a pastor so many times. Oh, pastor, let me tell you. Back in the day, we used to have this. And back in the day, church was packed. And back in the day, we had a prayer meeting and 30 people would come. And back in the day, and it was always like back in the day. And there was this constant comparison, what happened in the past and what we're doing now. And what we're doing now doesn't even match up to the standard that we had back in those days. And so if you're attending a church, if you're a pastor yourself and, and you're comparing with the past, God is going to teach us something through this verse, through the response that... Um, Haggai brings to the people because they were doing the very same thing, comparing what was going on in the past. So look at verse 4 now. What I'll actually do is I'll read verse 4 to verse 9, and I'll go back and I'll highlight so that you can kind of see what's happening here. It says, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, 
the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in you, fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Okay, I can't even make it to verse 9, okay? <laughs> I got to stop you at verse 7. <laughs> I can't make it, okay? Uh, there's just so much here that we can talk about here. So look what he says here. He begins to encourage the people. And this is where God is motivating uh, the people. Work because I am with you. And so this is a very important message. I think even for us as Christians is not to compare what happened in the past, but to realize and recognize that we have a calling and that God is with us. And because God is with us, we're instructed to work. We're not instructed, instructed to compare we know we're not instructed to look back at the past and, and dwell on the past, but God instructs us to work because he's with us. And this is very important because it doesn't matter how um, good your work might be. It doesn't matter how you know capable you feel like you're able to do it. The instruction that God gives us is to work. And that's what he tells the people of Israel. Work because I am with you. And uh, what, I, what I really like about this here is that he begins to tell them in verse 5, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains. You know, God is never going to forget the promise that he has, or the covenant and the promise that he has made with us. And in this context, with this people, with the people of Israel, God is trying to remind them that, I made a covenant with you and I'm going to be faithful in fulfilling that covenant. So don't you worry about trying to build the biggest, the best, the brightest, the glorious temple. What you need to do is recognize that my spirit is still in your midst. Don't be afraid. And because my spirit is in your midst, because I'm still with you, recognize that um, your work is still important. And may we recognize that as Christians as well, that God's spirit is with us. It's in our midst. We don't really need to be afraid. I think if we had that attitude, if we had that, uh, you know, way of thinking, it would change even the way that we do church. It would change the way that we do everything because what we would do is we would recognize that God can use us in our present day, even though it might not be as great and glorious as it was back in the day, God can still use us in our present day to do a work that will still reach people. And we're going to get in here soon, and you're going to realize here soon that there's something amazing that's going to come in this temple, through this temple, which we're going to read. Verse 7 says, And I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill the house with the glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Now here's what he says here. God's trying to remember the, remind the people that I own everything. There's nothing that I don't own. And so you need to remember the God that you serve. I have gold. I have, I mean, everything that, that is in this world belongs to me already. And so do the work and I will bring the gold. I will bring the glory. I will do everything for you. We're instructed to work. And that is, that is what our job is as Christians, is to work and to stay faithful to him. Verse 9. This is probably like my favorite verse here out of the entire chapter. It says, the latter glory. So now he's comparing the former temple, right? Or he's going to compare the former temple and this new temple here. So he says, the latter glory of this house shall be greater 
than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. This is so amazing. Now, now God compares and now God says, you know, that former glory, that amazing temple that Solomon had with the riches and gold and all these different things. It will not compare to what I'm going to do today. It will, let me not say today. It will not compare to what is going to happen in this temple. So the question is, what is happening in that temple? Pay attention to what God says. God says that I will give peace in this temple that they're building. He's going to give peace. And here's what you have to understand. That it was in this temple, through this temple, that we begin to see Jesus coming. That Jesus will come down. And Jesus will deliver his message. That Jesus will come. And I like the way that John chapter 1 verses 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so the glory that God is talking about here, and here's the prophecy that's made, is that God is going to do something amazing through this temple, in a sense. And that it is through this temple that we're going to have peace. And that is a prophecy that is linked to Jesus, that Jesus is going to come and that Jesus will give peace and the glory that Jesus is able to bring is going to be far beyond any temple that can match. And so that to me is so powerful and so profound to know that God is going to do something amazing through this temple, even though this temple right, doesn't really compare with the glory of the last one. And so for us as people, let's continue to do the work God has for us and let's leave him. Let's leave him to bring the glory, to bring the honor, to do whatever he has to do. Let us just be faithful to the calling. We get into now the third message. And the third message here starts in verse 10. And now he dates this again on the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius. The word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai. So what date are we dealing with? Okay, you can just go back to um, can go back to the NLT translation. NLT translation says on December 18th. So now we're looking at December 18th. 18th when this last message came um which was on that day and here's now the message that we're getting into now pay attention to who specifically it's being talked to verse 11 says thus says the lord of hosts ask the priest about the law so the message now is very specific to the priests and in verse 11 what's what's kind of cool about verse 11 is that um god says ask the priest about the law and so the priests had a i mean they were used to this if you ever had a question about the law or the you know the ceremonies or anything dealing with the sanctuary or the mosaic laws, you just had to ask the priests because they were the ones that were aware and they knew what was going on. And so this was something very common that you would do. It would be like today asking a pastor a Bible question. So Haggai goes to the priest and he asks them about the law. So what he does is he gives them a scenario and he turns the scenario into um, into a parable. And here's here's the scenario that he says. He says, If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? And the priest answered and said no. So now here's what he's asking him. He says, If if um if somebody's carrying something that's holy and uh, if that thing touches something bread or whatever does it become holy? And the priest said, no, not really. So it's just because someone might touch something that's regular, it doesn't really make it holy. Verse 13, though, he says, Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean 
by contact with a dead body, touches any of these things, does it become unclean? And the priest answered and said, it does become unclean. And so if, if you go back to the Levitical laws and the ceremonial laws, you'll realize that, that if you touch something that was dead, you will be considered unclean. Or, and so if you touch anything, then that same thing becomes unclean. And so here's the message and here's the parable that he turns now and he begins to bring to the people of Israel. And it's in verse 14. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hand and what they offer, there is unclean. And so he, he begins to say that if these people have injustice, and if these people are full of violence, and if they continue to walk down in those paths that their, uh, you know, their ancestors did, they themselves are falling in the same trap of being unclean. So anything else that they do, that work, whether they like building the temple and doing all these things, they're going to defile the work and make it impure. And so he's trying to really wake the people up and to let them know that, hey, you need to get yourself in order. You need to make sure that you're following God, that you're obeying him so that as a result, everything out of your actions, as you build the temple, it will have good motives to it. And you have to also remember that this is very specific to the people of Israel because God made a covenant with the children of Israel to obey or to disobey him. And so they are called to be faithful and to be obedient to his laws and his commands. And so as they're faithful to his laws and commands, as they build God's temple, you know, their works or their actions, their motives will be good. But if their actions and motives are evil and they're trying to do the work of God, naturally they'll make the work of God impure. Verse now, now look at now verse, um, where are we at here? Verse 16. Verse 16 says, how do you fare when one comes to a heap of 20 measures? There were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I stuck you and all the produce of your toil with blit and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the bar? Indeed, the wine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing, but from this day on, I will bless you. And so this is a this is the same comparison that's found in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and I and I'm trying to break this down here so that you can you can just kind of understand is Deuteronomy chapter 28 is a command that's given by God to the people of Israel which goes back with the covenant that they made that if they obey him if they're faithful to the laws and to the commands that he will bless them but if they're not faithful to the laws then God will not be with them and uh, as a result you know, their covenant that they made, will, will they will not be able to complete the work that God has done. So in other words, there will be a blessing for you to obey and to follow. There will be a curse if you don't. And so this is in comparison with Deuteronomy 28 where God is bringing back that covenant to them and says, Hey, I want you to stay faithful. I, I will bless you. I will be with you as a nation. And I would like, and I want you to stay faithful to me. Obey my commands. Do what I've asked you to do. And as a result, you will be righteous and holy, and you'll be able to do the work that I've laid out for you. And so, there's a lot of here. Like when you really look at the second aspect as to what's really going on here, there is a lot of. Um, you have to understand uh, what happened in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Numbers and the covenant to fully grasp as to why God is asking them to do 
these things. He wants them to be faithful as a nation, to be obedient, and as a result, he will bless them in the work that they are doing. We're getting into our last message, which is the fourth message that God has. And in verse 20, it says, Then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. And so when you read verse, when you read this verse here, you will recognize that he has two messages that he received on the same day, which is December 18th. Or, I mean, if you if you have the ESV or, and, or any other translation, it says that it is on the 24th day of the month. So in one day, he gets two separate messages. One was to ask the priests. And now this one here, it says, Speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heaven and the earth. So this message that's here now is very specific because he is talking to Zerubbabel. And uh, let's see, what is the message that he has to Zerubbabel? Verse 22, and says, And to overthrow the throne of kingdoms, I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nation and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, everyone by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. And here's an end to Haggai's messages. And the last message is such a very, it's so fascinating to me, actually, because when I first read this, I had to ask, why is this message very specific to Zerubbabel? And so I, I, I kept asking, why, why, what's happening? Like, what's the case? What's going on here? And uh, here's, here's what I found. There's two things, I think, to understand. Number one, Zerubbabel was truly chosen by God. If you read here, you can see that God tells him that he has chosen him for a specific task. Most of the times throughout the book of Haggai, whenever Zerubbabel is mentioned, he is mentioned alongside with Joshua. But in this case, he is mentioned by himself. You know, this message is very specific to him. And so God tells him that he has chosen him. He has made him you know, his servant. And he uses this word like a signet ring, which we're going to get in here for a second. But what, what I want to understand is that is that he is included in the ancestry of Jesus as the grandson of Jehoiakim. I think that's how you say his name, the descendant of Solomon. So Zerubbabel was in the line leading. Uh, when you read Matthew chapter one, when you read it, you'll see that Zerubbabel played a role in being a part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. And so God had a very specific plan, specific purpose. And if you look at the importance of having a genealogy, which I know sometimes for us when we read Matthew chapter 1, or I think it's Luke, when we read the genealogies, we skip them. But the genealogies are very important because they go back to prove to us that Jesus is the Messiah, that he would come from the royal line of David. And as you go down through the line, as you go down to the genealogies, you recognize that Zerubbabel was also a part of the genealogy of Jesus. But we also see, we got to go to Jeremiah chapter 22, because you have to read about the backstory of Zerubbabel's grandfather. And uh, depending which translation you read, they'll either have Coniah or Jehoiakim or Koiakim. I think that's how you say his name. I'm, I'm having a hard time here saying his name. But let's let's let me show you in Jeremiah chapter 22 verses 24 and this is very interesting actually. 
verses 24 says, As I live, declares the Lord, though Coniah, or Je Jehoiakim, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet ring on my hand, yet I will tear you off. So here's the same language that's being used, that's being used in Haggai chapter 2, where God says of his grandfather that you were like a signet ring to me. And so Jehoiakim or Koiakim or, or his grand, Zerubbabel's grandfather, there we go. That's the better way of saying it. Zerubbabel's grandfather was like a sig signet ring to God. And God says that because of his disobedience, his disloyalty, God is taking him off his ring. And that's the symbolic symbolism that's being used here. Because he was disobedient, God took him off his ring. Not his ring. That's, that's not the right <laughs> way of saying it. God took him off his hand and he has cursed him, in other words, because he has been disobedient. And so now when God brings this same language back to Zerubbabel, he's trying to say that, Zerubbabel, even though you come from a line where your grandfather was unfaithful and you're supposed to um, you know, follow in his footsteps and you're not blessed, I'm here to let you know, Zerubbabel, that I have a special calling and a special plan for your life. And even though I might have taken off uh, your grandfather, I am choosing to set you up and I'm choosing to declare to you. And so what God is saying here is that you know, even though you come from this line, even though you come from uh, your grandfather who was disobedient, the fact that you are here and you're faithful to me, I'm going to put you back on my hand. And I think that that's good news for us because even though Zerubbabel had a bad so-called family name, the one who had a bad name is now given a good name because our God is the God who delights in giving us a new start, a new name, despite of the fact what our you know parents or grandparents might have done and he gives Zerubbabel a new fresh you know if you want to say start and I think that's very powerful when you really read as to Zerubbabel and how faithful he was and even though his grandfather wasn't God now says that I am going to make you like my signet ring for I have chosen you and that's powerful and that's how it ends by God saying that I have chosen you Zerubbabel and the last words is declares the Lord. And so every time, um, you know, a message was done, especially this particular message, you know that the Lord has spoken. And as we end Haggai chapter 2, there's so many lessons that we can learn. There's a lot of lessons. But I think probably one of the most profound lessons that I, I see in the book of Haggai chapter 2 is that God will keep his promise to us. He will be with us. He has promised to never leave us, to never forsake us. And above all, he has promised to give us salvation. No matter how far off you and I go, no matter what our parents, grandparents might have done, the promise still stands today that we have salvation through Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that we will put our trust, our faith completely in Jesus. And as we put our faith completely in Jesus, recognize that God is with us. And when we recognize that God is with us, we can go out and we can share the good news of the gospel. And I think that's very, very good news for each and every one of us. And so as you continue to study the book of Haggai, in the last two episodes, I wanted to give you an overview. So now when you go back and you reread it, you can have a better understanding of what's happening. And I encourage you, read it again, study it again. The book of Haggai is powerful and amazing. With that being said, everyone, stay tuned and see you next time.